Well, we have been talking uh, this month about the question, what would love do? And as we've been talking about that question, we've been, we've been looking at some really challenging topics. We, we started the month talking about face masks and our personal freedom and how does that all fit together. Uh, then we, we talked about unity. How do we maintain unity when we disagree over various points? Last week, Pastor Chuck talked to us about love, loving through trauma. What does it look like for love to comfort in, in trauma? And so I saved the, what I consider to be the most challenging topic for last. Today we're going to talk about race relations and racism in our country. And I saved it for last for, for two reasons. One very practical reason is that I just needed as much time as possible to prepare, to read, to have conversations. The other reason is that I wanted to give Jesus as much time as possible to come back. And I was hoping that maybe he would come back before today and we could just go and be in heaven and all of this would be behind us. And it's not too late. Like, uh, you know, if you want to do that right now. No, that's not happening. Okay, so... Um, I am aware that uh, there, there are different poles in, in our congregation on this issue as I've had conversations over the, the last month. And what I have prayed for myself today is that I would not be uh, either a coward or a bully. Because I could be a coward, I could take an easy way out, I could try to, to pander to one group or another and say what, what I think people want to hear and try to make at least some people happy. Um, I could be a bully and uh, kind of get up on a soapbox and try to browbeat people into a point of view that I think is is right. And as I, I just have not felt comfortable with either one of those extremes. And I, I thought of the example of Jesus who came full of grace and truth. And I think his example is such a model for, for all of us in these days where, where there's so much division because, because uh, truth really comes to bear for those of us who might tend to be cowards. I mean, there, there, there is truth, and we need to stand on God's truth. Um, but grace comes to bear for those of us who might tend to be bullies and might try to browbeat other, other people. So we, we all need that perfect balance of grace and truth. I don't know that any of us get it right, but... but Thankful that Jesus got it right and we can look to him as a model and ask him to empower us. So I know that there are these, these two extremes of, of different views on this racism issue. I know that there are some who believe very strongly that there is still systemic uh, racism in our institutions, that that needs to be addressed in order to, to help people become all that God would mean for them to be. And at the other extreme, I know that there are those who believe that, that that's really a thing of the past, that they, we can look back into our history as a nation and we can see, yes, there was systemic racism then. But there are some people I've, I've learned as I've had conversations and um, taken in a number of, of resources over this last month, that there are people who, who, who say that if we try to address this from a systemic standpoint, we may actually be hurting the very people that we say we're trying to help. And what I've learned in, in a number of conversations over this last month is that I think at core, at least the people I talk to, all are wanting good. They're, they're wanting benefit, but they're just, uh, they're, they're looking at it from a different standpoint as to how to achieve that. And so today what, what I want to do, I'm, I'm not here to promote a particular point of view. 
Um, that, that may disappoint some of you. You may be wishing that I would just like come out and just get really strong on something. I'm, I'm not really here to do that. I'm not really here to try to solve a political problem. What I'm here to do is what I do every week. And that is to, to lead us into scripture and to, to hopefully put us in a position where we can hear from God on, on this issue. And what I want to do is, is really call us to agreement on some really key points. Even, even for those of us who are at different poles on this issue, I think there are some points that we can agree on that really become the basis for figuring out how to move forward and, and in, a, in a Christ-like way. So, if you would, turn to Joshua chapter 5, 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. No, Joshua 5 uh, is where we're going to be this morning. And I really do, if, if, uh, if you need to pause the video there at home and go find a Bible or look it up on your device, I really encourage you to do that because it's, it's, it's always vitally important to me that you know that I'm not just making stuff up or sharing my opinions. I want you to see for yourself in Scripture where my, my points are coming from. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5. Um, Karl Barth is a theologian who said uh, many, many years ago that we should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other for the purpose of having something, and that, that's never been more true than it is today, because we need something eternal. We, we need uh, unchanging truth in order to help us interpret the ever-changing world that we are in. And so we're going to seek to do that this morning. I want to thank Pastor Jay for pointing me actually to this passage. He pointed me to a message, a, a sermon by a pastor named Miles McPherson, who actually has written a book on on this passage, Joshua 5, on the issue of race relations. And so I'm not, I, I listened to his message. It was really helpful. I haven't read the book. I'm not trying to preach his message or his book, but really just looking to, to look at this scripture together with you. I love this passage because it gives us a behind-the-scenes look at Joshua on the eve of the Battle of Jericho. So... Um, some of you may be watching today, you may not know a whole lot about the Bible, may not know a whole lot about uh, Joshua or the Battle of Jericho. Probably somewhere along the line, you've heard the song, Joshua, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Actually, I think it's Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. I know you're filling in that blank there, there at home for me. Nobody in the room is, but thanks. Thanks anyway. Um, so you probably know that, and, and if, you, if you're aware of even that song, you know that Jericho was not a typical battle. I mean, it was not going in with, with swords and, and spears. It was marching around the city until the walls fell down. It was what we would call an unconventional battle. It was fought in an unconventional way. Jericho was a fortress city, and so it, it was, um, it stood between God's people and the the promised land. So they're they're coming out of slavery in Egypt. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years and now they're ready to go into the promised land and Jericho is the main fortress city that stands between them and the the promised land. It, it was probably the most impenetrable city of of all of Palestine. And so it's it's appropriate for us the reason why we're looking at this passage today. I think this is appropriate for us because we are in a spiritual battle today. And, and the race issue in our country right now is a spiritual battle over and above anything else that it may be. We, we are seeing people being killed 
We are seeing property being destroyed. We are seeing people being dehumanized in all kinds of ways. That's all the work of, of our spiritual enemy. And we, we need to figure out how to fight this battle in an unconventional way. It's, it's not going to look like typical battles look like in our, in our country where we're trying to um, out-talk each other, where we're trying to out-argue each other, where we're throwing verbal grenades that we hope are going to take out enough on the other side that our side gets to win. It's not going to get won that way. It's, it has to be fought on a spiritual standpoint. And so that's why we're looking at Joshua. And what we find Joshua here in chapter 5 is he's surveying Jericho. He's, he's by himself, probably an evening, overlooking Jericho, trying to figure out what, what are we going to do. And, and knowing how thick those walls are, how impenetrable the city is, he's probably thinking what we need is catapults. What we need is battering rams. And then he's thinking in his mind, taking inventory, what we have is a couple of arrows, couple of slingshots. I mean, keep, remember, these people are coming out of slavery. I mean, they're not equipped for a major battle. So this is what's in his mind when we find him in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Or for our adversaries. All right, so Joshua, don't read on yet. Okay, so Joshua is on high alert. I mean, he's on reconnaissance. He's checking out this this city. And so he's by himself, and he sees this man standing there with a drawn sword. So he, he's in battle mode. He's in military mode. I mean, he's, he, you know, can't imagine what's going through his mind. And so he starts moving toward this guy. He's like, I'm not going to back off. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to move towards this guy. And he asks the question that is on many of our minds today as we enter into conversations with people that we don't know. It's an us versus them question. Are you for us? Or for our adversaries? It's the question that surfaces in our mind when we're talking with somebody that we don't know well. And we and the subject starts turning towards something controversial. Are you for us or are you for them? And so, verse 14, let's see the response. This mysterious man says, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. All right. Now, let's go back to the question again. What was the question in verse 13? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And his answer is no. And I'm going, that answer doesn't fit that question, right? I mean, this is not a yes or no question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no, this is like when you go to McDonald's and they say, okay, would you like fries or apples with your burger? And you say, I'm at McDonald's. I mean, if I wanted apples, I, I wouldn't be here, but it's like if they asked you, do you want fries or apples? And you said, no, it's like that's not the right answer to the question. The right answer, of course, is fries at McDonald's. But 
he, he's answering this question with a, a no. So this mysterious man who Joshua doesn't know yet responds with what Miles McPherson calls the third option. And, and it tells us that God is not interested in choosing our sides. He wants us to be on his side. God is not interested in aligning himself with our sides and our perspectives and our poles. He, he is interested in us getting on his side. This, this man says, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now I am here. Now I'm in charge. And he's saying to Joshua, Joshua, you're on reconnaissance. You think you're in charge of this army. I have news for you. You're relieved of your command. I'm in charge here. I have come now. And then watch Joshua's response. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Look at this amazing change in, in posture. Um, some scholars think that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So you, you know, hopefully, that, that Jesus' existence did not begin at Bethlehem at Christmas that we celebrate. Jesus has existed from eternity past. He is God, but he existed before he came as a human and took on human flesh. And some scholars think this, this is Jesus appearing, and I think that's true for two reasons. One is because Joshua falls on his face and worships, and this man does not refuse his worship. There are other times in scripture where a, a true angel appears and, and someone falls down and worships and the angel says, no, 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 no. I'm a fellow servant with you. This man doesn't do that. He allows Joshua to, to worship. The second reason I think this is Jesus is because we know from the gospels that Jesus is the commander of the armies of heaven. When he is being arrested, in the garden before his crucifixion in Matthew chapter 26, 53. He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And Jesus is the commander of heaven's armies. And, and so when Joshua recognizes that this is, this is God in front of him, his posture changes. Okay, back, look, look how he starts out in verse 13. He sees the man standing before him, drawn sword in his hand, and he went to him. He starts approaching him. He's bowed up and, and ready for battle. And then in 14, when he recognizes who he is, he fell on his face and worshiped. And then in 15, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He is on his face, submissive to the commander of the Lord's army. This is, this is vital. This is where we start in spiritual battle, is recognizing who's in charge and also recognizing who is our enemy. Ephesians chapter six says, uh, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, when we're in an us versus them mindset, we see people as the enemy. And when we don't really recognize who the real enemy is, we will lose the battle because we're fighting the wrong enemy. We are in a spiritual battle and Jesus is in charge. So if we approach that battle, if we approach this issue of, of racism and racial integration, racial get, getting along with other races, if we approach this bowed up and ready for battle, we will lose. It's appropriate not to approach bowed up, but bowed down. And recognizing, Jesus, you are my commander. And changing our question from, God, are you for us or for them? To Joshua's question in verse 14 when he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? God, what do you want from me? Not, God, would you do what I think is the right thing here? God, what do you want from me? We cannot battle effectively the things that are wrong with the world if we are not submitted to our commander-in-chief, Jesus. Jesus has always been calling us out from us versus them kind of a mentality. He's always been calling us out from us versus them to follow him. He did this with his disciples. So Jesus called two disciples that were at polar opposites of their political stance. So he called Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. They couldn't be further apart on on the, the spectrum. So Matthew the Zealot is anti government and he is zealous about that there's this whole group of people during jesus time called the zealots who are trying to bring down the roman government and they didn't have a lot of resources they didn't have a lot of organization a lot of power so they're kind of like gorillas i mean they're just they're just kind of throwing bombs wherever they can figuratively speaking and they're taking out a roman soldier here and there and they're trying to be such a thorn in the side of rome that rome will just leave I mean, that's who the, that's who the zealots are. And Jesus calls Simon the zealot to follow him. He also calls Matthew the tax collector. So Matthew the tax collector is a collaborator with Rome. I mean, Matthew takes this position so that he could collect taxes for Rome, which first of all, people don't want to pay, but then he also gets to skim off the top so he can become wealthy in the process. And so Matthew is viewed as scum and a traitor to his people. And Jesus calls these two men to be part of his cadre that is going to walk around with him, who's going to live in very close proximity for three years. They're going to live together. They're going to travel together. They're going to serve together. And I, I have to wonder how often the tension surfaced between Matthew and Simon. Because, because we know from reading the Gospels, we know that these are very human, just real-life people. I mean, they, they didn't start following Jesus and immediately they were all like, you know, super spiritual. And I mean, they still had lots of issues. So I wonder how many times 
the the tension surfaced between them. And I wonder if Simon ever pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, are, are you for me or are you for Matthew? I wonder if Matthew ever pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, you know, this whole government political thing, are, are you on my side? Are you a Simon? And I can picture Jesus saying, no. But I'm commander of the Lord's army. And we're about something bigger than Rome. I know that's big. I know that's difficult. We're about something bigger than that. And so I need you to follow me. I wonder if Jesus said to them, stop fighting with each other and start fighting with each other. Stop fighting against each other and start fighting the real enemy alongside of each other. I I wonder if, I'm just speculating, I'm just wondering if Jesus ever paired them up. You, You know, there were times where Jesus like divided the disciples up and he would send them into towns and he would divide them into twos. I wonder if he ever just paired them up just to see what, what would happen. I, I wonder, and, and this is complete speculation, so I'm setting my Bible down because this, this is not in there, but I, I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe there was ever a time where they were late night, you know, sitting around a campfire, you know how you get reflective around a campfire, and I wonder if maybe a couple of years in, you know, Matthew said to Simon one day, what made you become a, a zealot? And so Simon shared his backstory. Maybe he saw a, a dear family member, maybe a brother, killed by the Romans unjustly. And maybe Simon turned that around and said to Matthew, Matthew, why? Why would you become, why would you align yourself with the, the Roman government? And maybe Matthew's story included something like, I, I was born into poverty my, my dad died when I was a kid. I had to provide for my family, and I saw this opportunity, and I, I took it. I, I, don't, I don't know that. I, I don't know if they had that conversation. I wonder, though. Here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. We do know that these men fought with each other. We, they, they fought alongside of each other because we have the gospel of Matthew that continues to tell the story of Jesus. And we know from history that Simon the Zealot died as a martyr for Jesus' sake. And so we know that somehow, some way along the way, Jesus brought them together to stop fighting with each other and start fighting with each other. They were fighting together for something bigger. They were fighting together for, for the gospel for the story of Jesus that is what transforms us. It is what we are to be fighting for. And so I want to just share, I want to share three points of the gospel that point out our, our, what we have in common as a, as a human race that show how we need to get beyond us versus them. The first is, there's three, three things here. The first is that we are all image bearers. So in, in Genesis chapter one, when God creates humans as the pinnacle of his creation, 
It's kind of like he got all the bugs worked out, and then he created man, and then he created woman as the pinnacle, pinnacle of creation. But he said this, then God said, let us make man, let us make humans in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. So this comes in the first chapter of Scripture, long before there are any distinctions between ethnicity, language, history. Every human has equal value before the Lord. And this levels the field for all of us, especially for anyone who feels less than. No one should ever feel less than as we are made in the image of our Creator. So we are all image bearers. The second thing that is true of all of us is that we are all lawbreakers. So Romans 3 says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this, this truth levels the field for anyone who may feel better than. That no one gets a pass in this life because of some perceived privilege or background. And, and likewise, no one gets a pass because they may have had a hard background. Every one of us gives an account to God. Every one of us falls short of his perfect glory and everyone must give an account for that. But the, the third truth is, is hopeful for us. And that is that all of us are invited to be grace receivers. Romans 3 says, There's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all need a Savior. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And there is no room for better than or less than. And so if we ever have the thought, Jesus, did you come for us or for them? His answer will be, no. I came for whoever will come and receive the free gift of eternal life. And that may be you today. Maybe you're listening to this and you are looking at the mess in our world and you look inwardly at your own life and you recognize the mess. You recognize that you are a lawbreaker, that you have messed up in God's eyes and maybe you feel hopeless about that. You don't need to feel hopeless because that's why Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came full of truth. He's not going to sugarcoat your life and wink and look away and and pretend that the things that you have done wrong don't exist. But he's going to bring grace to that. Healing grace. Forgiving grace. And so there is hope for you as there's hope for all of us today. That's where our hope lies. Not that we have achieved anything on our own. All we achieve is to mess things up. But he offers us grace. We may be a grace receiver. And if you've not ever trusted Christ, today is your day. Today is is your day to fall in line behind Jesus, to, to fall on your face before him like Joshua fell and worship and say, what does my Lord say to his servant? What do you want from me? How can I be part of the solution 
instead of part of the problem. The, the gospel that we fight for saves us as individuals. It also has the power to save our culture. The gospel is not just for us to change us as individuals. It is also to change and transform our culture. Ephesians 2 says this about Jesus, that he himself, Christ is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That verse is talking specifically about uh, about Jews and Greeks. So a political, ethnic polarization. Jesus came to break down those walls of hostility. And finding common ground with one another beyond our race is spiritual battle. It is something we will have to fight for. And so we need to stop fighting with each other and start fighting with each other. What does that look like? So I want to give you three things that I think this looks like. I think it looks like talking together, praying together, and loving together. Talking together, I I just, I cannot encourage you strongly enough. I encouraged this two weeks ago, if you're watching the message on unity, to talk with someone who thinks differently, perceives the world differently than, than you do. I have been doing that over this last month. I've had a number of conversations, and I can tell you that in just about every one of those conversations, I came into the conversation with assumptions about what I thought the other person was going to say and where they were going to be coming from. And every time it, I, I was wrong and I learned and I heard because I, I came into the conversation with ears to listen. So remember, James tells us to be quick to listen slow to speak, slow to become angry because the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. So if we come into a conversation bowed up, and and quite honestly, sometimes we come into a conversation thinking we know what the other person is going to say. And sometimes we have conversations. Maybe you don't do this, but I do. Sometimes I have whole conversations in my own mind about, okay, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say that. And then I just flesh the whole thing out. And what I find is when I'm having these conversations, if I really come into that with a heart to learn and to listen and to hear their heart, most of whatever conversation happened in my head, that's not really what happens. And I walk away broadened and enriched and informed in a way that I wasn't expecting to get. So I I cannot encourage you to do that strongly enough because I've been very surprised and and honestly that's why I'm I'm here today not here to promote a certain point of view because that's I'm still in process of forming that in in my mind. I I don't know what the right solution is for our government to do, but I know that what is right for us to do is we ask the question what would love do? Love would have a conversation with someone and care about them, care enough to listen and to learn from them and to humble ourselves enough to know that whatever my experience has been is not necessarily what everybody else's experience has been. That's a pretty small view of the world. I need to hear from others about what their experience has been and appreciate it for what it is 
and invest them with the, the dignity of recognizing the image of God in them and hear what they have to say and then say, and then the second step is to pray together. So talk together and then pray together. To pray together and say, okay, here's what we have in front of us. Here's the situation. What do we do with that? Where do we go with that? What action do we take? Do we take any action? And and formulate a plan together to fight with each other, alongside of each other, whatever God shows you to be the, the enemy and what needs to be addressed. And I suspect that as in the case of Jericho, it's that that battle is going to look unconventional. It may not look at all like what you think it's going to look like. It may not look like writing letters to uh, your congressman or going to protest. I don't, I don't know. You will have to sort that, that out, but it begins with conversations with, with others and seeking to understand before being understood. And then the third thing that I would encourage us, call us to, is to love together. I mean, to, to promote peace, to promote unity. Whatever your current perception of the issue is that, that needs to be resolved in our, our country, what we know is this. There, there is unrest. There's a lot of distrust. There's, there's a lot of hatred going on. And we, when, when we have those conversations, when we start one-on-one across the table with somebody and we have conversations with people who are who think differently than we do, we begin to build bridges of trust. And, hey, I, I, I wish I could give you a solution that's going to solve this on the macro scale. I, again, I don't know what that is, but I, I know that it's not going to get solved on the macro scale if we can't start with a conversation across the table and show that we care about someone. Jesus confronted head-on us versus them. And if we're going to follow him and display him to the world, then we can't back down from that either. Let's pray. Father, we call on you now uh, for wisdom. Lord, the world that we live in is uh, seems topsy-turvy right now. It seems at odds. So many people seem at odds. So much hatred. Uh, so much distrust. Father, may, may we as individual Christ followers and may we as a church, Grace Point, be a light in this world right now that desperately needs the, the light of, of truth, the light of hope, the light of love that Christ shined for us. Jesus, thank you for your model for us, your perfect model, balancing perfectly grace and truth. Lord, would you empower us, help us, Jesus, first of all, to recognize you as the commander of, of the army, that we would fall on our face before you in worship and in submission and then say, God, what, what do you want from me? I'm your servant. I'm here. I'll do what you ask me to do. Help us start from that posture. And, Father, may we do battle in this world for the sake of love. In Jesus' name. Amen.